It's another week in the four-year reference household, but more importantly, it's the re, 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 re entering into our fifth year of the four-year reference podcast, OT. Uh-huh. Um, uh, how are you feeling after the Takashi Mika run? You were a bit thirsty? You were a bit uh, of a wanting? Yeah, uh, I was just happy to get, get it done and now we can move on. Yeah, and hopefully you were well satiated by mostly the red carpet appearances at the 4th Annual Splooshies Awards. Mm-hmm. It's been very exciting. Again, love, thanks and splooshes to all of our friends and lovers that have joined us in this podcasting love fest journey. Um, and thank you to a lot of the film studios and PR contacts. Um, we are going to be kicking off this year with a lot of the screeners. It's a great problem to have OT. Um, a little bit of producing to figure out. We currently have 10 plus screeners and screenings um, that we've been given access and been invited to. So we're going to have a whole chunk of them today and sometime throughout this month um, we'll be releasing the rest of them. We've got a great um, bunch of titles out there, OT. We sure did. Very exciting. We might even be um, dabbling into Gotham perhaps. (laughs) Let's get on with the show. Welcome, friends and lovers, to the 4 Year Reference Podcast. You've got your host, Katie. And OT. Welcome to Reference Max, where we will cover The Sun, Mark Maron's comedy stand-up, Missing, Rain Dogs, and Creed. Wow. Three this week. Such a great selection. It, it is a delectable selection, if you're nasty. Um, so let's start off. Uh, we did watch this even before we did our run of Reference Diga Station. So thank you to Sue and the team at TM Publicity for giving us access to the previous screener of The Sun. New to the four-year reference household, we have director Florian Zella as well as writer. We have Christopher Hampton in way of stars. IMDb, very interesting. Um, Hugh Jackman's not in the first three, which is usually what I do. Vanessa Kirby, Felix Goddard, as well as Max Goddard. Ooh-hoo-hoo. Usually with the format of Ref Max, um, we don't like to go into spoilers, so at least there are some nasty things that our nasty friends and lovers that haven't um, watched it can get into. Um, what do you think? Zed McGrath as well, but w- what did you think about The Sun? I enjoy the movie. I think it really showcased a different level of uh, his acting capabilities. I think the sound was really good as well. Yeah. Um, those moments in the movie where I felt that he, as the mm. father, had a lot of shortcomings that he had to deal with. And I yeah. think he just took such a, a handoff approach for far too long. And he was like, yeah, all right. You know, yeah. and a lot of those things that we see in a lot of relationships with father and son that came to the forefront. And I uh-huh. think how, because we're not going to go into spoilers, I just feel like, I just feel like Peter had to do so much more in this movie yeah. in terms of taking responsibility. What can you say about Laura Dunn, man? She is amazing. She plays Kate in this. I don't even know what's up with these IMDb credits because didn't have Laura Dunn either. 
It's being churlish. Yeah, it, it is being churlish. But I think the most important thing was just seeing the, the relationship and the struggle of yeah. what Theo was going through. Yeah. And it had moments in the theater where it got really quiet and even no one was eating their snacks. Um, yeah, that's OT's barometer. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to our reference. When max. it's quiet, when it's quiet, you know there's some emotional stuff going on. Like in She Said. That was a different level. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, I think in as much as I I saw the ending coming. Uh-huh. And I think I saw it halfway through. I felt that there's no way any other way this would end. Yeah. Um, but totally still enjoyable. Okay. Um, you know, we, we are conscious of the father and I'm sure at a particular point in time, you know, when we're feeling warm and fuzzy and nurtured and we're held in the most beautiful of ways, um, we will watch the father. But I was excited to dabble into the world of Florian Zeller. Um, I really, you know, I really latch on to, you know, Ernest Inchela, um, you know, sort of displays of storytelling, you know, and in some cases it may even be a Marvel. It may even be something with broad appeal, or it can be something that is super indie or, you know, only speaks to a specific sort of experience with universal sort of themes. So um, I really appreciated, you know, the earnest sort of attempt in being honest, even if it was uncomfortable. Mm. Right. Um, even before we got into the screener, Sue was saying she likes it. It's different for Hugh Jackman. It's a bit sad. <laughs> and I was like, I'm actually actually fine with that and you know even going you know having the chance to go to screeners and this sort of thing you know I'm starting to realize that a lot of audiences whether it's because they're looking for a cute night out or whatever it is a lot of audiences aren't used to or prefer not to be in those uncomfortable sort of moments mm. so even when something not really that hilarious happens people need to have that sort of decompression you know, need to be able to laugh at anything that might even be, you know, a banal sort of um, piece of humour. Not to say that this film is banal, but just that, you know, people are like, okay, I feel sad, I'm uncomfortable, make me laugh, you know, give me something to hold on to. Um, but I really appreciated that the sun really went there. And, you know, even coming out of the cinema, talking about Zen's performance, um, you know, without going into spoilers, but we, we are talking about Nicholas who is a young boy. And what I really appreciated, you know, about this film and, you know, we're not even parents ourselves, but what I really appreciated about it was you had this young kid going through something, right? And whatever that something is, isn't important or doesn't need to be understood for a parent or for a loved one to be there and provide care and support. Yeah, and usually you get this sort of reaction of, we've been through us. Yeah, you know? we, yeah, yeah. With Anthony Hopkins as your dad, though, <laughs> he's like the granddaddy of repression. Yeah. Except well, for Armageddon Time. That was a beautiful sunshine, Anthony Hopkins, in there. <laughs> yeah, like, pull yourself up, mate. We've yeah. been through us. I've been through war. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't bring anything lesser to the table because you ain't been through it. It must be an interesting sort of tango because a lot of parents and, you know, even our parents um, were like, you know, we want you to have a better life, but then it's also like not that good of a life. 
like mm-hmm. you need to go through struggle as well. So it was interesting seeing, you know, a different sort of turning of the lens. You know, Peter became the son, you know, and Nicholas wasn't, you know, necessarily the focal point in a couple of the scenes. But, you know, because we're not talking a lot about spoilers, Laura, Laura Dern always brings a lot of warmth and humanity to all of her roles. Oh, yeah. So, you know, a, a role that could be seen as very hysterical woman, mother, like sort of character. Um, she definitely grounded and she brought a lot of heart too. Like I was, I was always rooting for her. Whenever Nicholas wasn't on the scene, um, I was always rooting for Kate. A hundred percent. What I will say about Peter's character, um, if we can separate our feelings for Mr. Jackman, if you're nasty, Peter ain't ever going to be shit, never was shit, and is always going to be a deadbeat dad shit. <laughs> That's what I have to say. Yeah, and he followed that philosophy, you know. If if one family doesn't work, um, you know, just stir it up, get a yeah. new one. Just 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 um pack up the Lego set and go somewhere else. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so interesting because, you know, um, like with the family sort of dynamics, like even if you were trying to be there for Nicholas, you didn't need to fall far from the apple tree, Peter. Like it was pretty clear that this was affecting him. Yeah. And I I loved the fact that Nicholas didn't hold back in the hard questions as well. Yeah. He went and asked both Beth, Kate, and Peter the hard questions that they need to talk to their son about. Yeah. There's no point tiptoeing around those issues. Mm -hmm. And it was just good seeing them put on the spot, especially Peter. And him feeling like a crap dad because he needed to feel that. What's up with these Australian actors? It's kind of like Kate Blanchett in Tar. She's like, I've been through stuff, so I'm going to use that as an excuse. But you other people can't use it as an excuse. Peter was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. My daddy don't love me. Or he's never said he loved me. So I'm never going to show you full love. Come on. Yeah, he saw a bar of my father was so crap that I just need to be less crap than yeah. that. Just because you're better than him doesn't mean you're a good dad. (laughs) The math is, the the deadbeat dad shit is not math. No, it's not. Um, but I, I guess just wrapping up in regards to the sun, um, I, I really appreciated, you know, there, there were definitely a lot of, um, uncomfortable moments, um, in this film, but there was really, uh, you know, there was really trying to explore what fractured sort of dynamics do, especially if you go and, you know, have your own offspring and then how, <laughs> how all the shit, because you're, you're fancy and you're in the business world, you know, succession will treat, it will teach you very quickly quickly that just because you got the money and you got the design of clothes doesn't mean you've resolved any of that daddy shit no indeed <laughs> the only thing i would say that i i wished we had more of in the sun was you know i i feel like you know imperfect characters also obviously make stories compelling but I don't care for, and it bothers me when those imperfect sort of characters aren't challenged, their perception of the world, what their sort of motivations are. And I feel like Peter could have been challenged a bit more. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like a lot of it was taking a look at the reactions or it was more reactive towards what Peter was being presented by. Uh-huh. 
rather than him taking a, a proactive approach in, in, in dealing with a lot of the issues that were raised or yeah. he even faced. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, any sort of final thoughts for you, the proverbial for your reference, The Sun? In as much as it was a gut-wrenching movie and topics that were not easy to discuss, it's definitely necessary to bring those issues to the forefront mm-hmm. so that people see how they need to react and respond better to issues out there. Yeah, And a lot of the time, someone suffering shouldn't be defined or make sense to you mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, that doesn't fucking matter it's not about you and you understanding someone else's problem it's about you being there and hearing and listening um and i think the sun does that brilliantly yeah it's just like brett from um archer you'll be like why are you bleeding brett he needs immediate help (laughs) (laughs) it's not time to do a diagnostics on that god Um, damn it brett And what a beautiful segue. I guess, again, you know, carrying the theme of the sun. Um, Thank you to the team at Binge as well as HBO. We were given a preview screener for Mark Marin from Bleak to Dark. Wow. I didn't know I needed a stand-up for Mark Marin. Yes. Are you familiar with him? I guess it's good to say. I've been I've been a fan for a long time. His podcast is something he's the god he's the grandfather of podcasting, man. He, he his standards, uh his comedic chops, his interviews are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and to see him do this felt like Christmas coming early. Yeah. And I was not disappointed one bit. It was really exciting to see just how his wit was played out through the whole show. And I yeah. think it's one of the must watch uh, stand-ups of the year. Oh, that's and that's hot off coming off the Chris Rock one, right? Yeah, it is. And it still remains one of the best. Nice. Absolutely. Love, love, love. Um, I'm not very familiar with Mark Marin. I, I am very aware of the podcast like cover art for his podcast. Um, I just haven't got around to checking him out, but I was very excited to check out this comedy special. I guess even the name from Bleak to Dark. Um, you know, <laughs> can you do spoilers for a stand-up? I do feel like there are some there are some great sort of gems inside of this stand-up that I definitely I'm not gonna be um Michael Scott reciting Chris Rock lines. <laughs> like I'm not gonna be reciting Mark Marin's lines. Um but there are a couple of things I want to talk about in his special that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, friends and lovers, I even said a couple of minutes ago, even if it's broad appeal, even if it's a Marvel, like Wakanda Forever, for example, is probably one of the biggest sort of ethos, I guess, if we're ignoring Jimmy Cameron and his made-up indigenous native people. Um, you know, Wakanda Forever is very popular, but there was something about the way Ryan Coogler and everyone involved in the film were able to respectfully um, demonstrate grief via way of real life, rest in love and peace and power, Chadwick Boseman. Um, Even if we talk about Pussy Valley season two, there was a a very grounded Katori Hall flavored way of addressing the pandemic in ways that we never saw that I would even say was unprecedented in television programming at the time. 
Um, and friends and lovers, why am I mentioning Wakanda forever and Pussy Valley while I'm talking about Mark Maron? Um, he absolutely has a way to do this. And, you know, there's, if you want to stay, I would say, um, superficially, um, not necessarily, you know, tethered, but if you want to stay positive all the time, first off, that sounds very exhausting. Um, but second off, you know, there's absolutely spaces and creators and comedians um, that you can go to that, you know, have that sort of jovial 24 seven, um, you know, I guess black mirror esque sort of positivity, if that's what you want. Right. Um, what I really appreciated from Mark Maron's special was he's like, fucking no, it fucking sucks. It's gross. Here are my experiences. Perhaps we can overlap and we can find that sort of grounding together, you know? Yeah. And he talks about very intimate stuff, personal yeah. stuff to him. And sometimes I did feel quite uncomfortable listening to it. Even him finding hilarity in or finding humor in moments like it could be the worst thing that has happened to someone and they find these moments of, you know, hilarity. And in as much as it was uncomfortable for me to hear it, you could tell that it means so much more to yeah. him. It felt cathartic knowing that someone can overcome and find a moment of of sort of a sleeve, a sleeve of happiness somewhere, despite yeah. everything. But I, I think that's the beauty of life, understanding the highs and the lows. Um, you don't want to get to a point where you're constantly doom scrolling all of the lows, but that really provides the richness um, of life. And, you know, um, I've kind of posted on our socials because thank you to HarperCollins. We, we do receive like advanced reading copies, which is very cute. We're book. I'm a book gal as well as a film and TV gal. Um, but I, I did share very briefly and maybe in another time, um, you know, um, I'll get into like actual detail. But what I will say is, you know, for the last eight to 10 years, I've had a very close relationship of not just dementia, but early onset dementia, mm. like power to Chris Hemsworth, but I don't need to take that test. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't need that as another notch on my struggle belt. Um, but what I will say to that is he talks about his relationship with his parents. Um, and he talks about his dad having dementia and you, you talked about, you know, it being uncomfortable, but you've been in a loving, beautiful relationship with me. So you've also had a close contact on what it's like to have a loved one with dementia. Right. So, um, you know, in this special, I'm not going, again, I'm not going to be Michael Scott. I'm not going to copy um, any sort of sentiments, but he talks about sometimes there is a beauty to having a parent that has dementia um, in, in ways that like are fucked up, but it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And I think that might even be what you're talking about as well. But I was having a good old giggle gaggle. I was having a good cackle. Um, it's an exhale, you know, a lot of the humor and a lot of the levity that you can find in fucked up situations is a much needed exhale to the human experience. Yeah. Great. I was clutching my pals at some of those moments, but yeah. Yeah. Hilarious stuff, man. Um, I also appreciated that he kind of kicked off his stand up just talking about how like everything's going to shit. Like even just talking about the pandemic and how, you know, people keep, you know, trying to figure shit out or just ignoring, you know, the, the growing increasing sort of situation that has been forecasted for a lot of years now. I personally got a lot out of that. Um, there was also a moment, if you follow my 
Mark Maron, you might already have been aware of, but he talks about his partner passing away. Um, and you know, again, it's, it's not something easy. It's not something you like trauma dump on a random person that you meet. Um, but I, I really appreciated his open sort of honesty and, you know, you can tell there's been a lot of healing that has happened since then for him to be able to talk about it. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the COVID sort of protocols and being able to see her being able to grieve and, you know, there's some real life shit that's going on in the world. If you're, if you're there to focus on it, but again, it's also understandable if you're not. Yeah. It was good to see, um, that he had support as well, you know, during that time, because that's one of the toughest things anyone can go through. Yeah. Um, and to come, like I said, the, the, uncomfortable moments where he jokes about sort of intimate stuff that I, I would never dare <laughs> try and find any sort of humor in them because that's just not who I am personally but wow it's it was very refreshing to see yeah absolutely um he also touches on anti-semitism which is interesting as well again you're not going to catch me in a soundbite i'm not going to repeat any of it um and there's also some funny <laughs> I, I think this is probably where, where the most sort of genuinely hilarious not sad um hilarious when he talks about his mom um but we're, we're going to leave that um for you to watch it but what i will say this is definitely one of the things where i'm like meet us in the dms friends and lovers because it would be nice just to talk about it yeah and just know that it was a different time (laughs) is that a reference Mm. oh nice very nice um let's move on we have missing this is the 2023 film by directed by nicholas d johnson as well as will merrick writers as well as will nicholas and sev ahanian in regards to stars we have tim griffin ava zaria lee as well as nia long and storm reed should also be on imdb so we're gonna fight and ken long while we're here as well um this also follows off of searching john cho which i really enjoyed yeah searching was really good and i felt like if you're doing it again you know you better bring it yeah. because i didn't know what to expect with this movie uh-huh. but i was in as uh, the minute or so near long was part of the project you had to know where she went and you had to find her because she'd been taken of course yeah. you know and as much as i came in for near long i stayed for storm she was amazing yes in this. she was really good especially because we just saw her in the last of us around the same time yeah <laughs> <laughs> Very emotional times for Storm Reid, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we I never really watch any trailers for this stuff. I thought Nia Long would be the one searching for someone that's missing, the uh-huh. daughter or whatever. But that came to a surprise to me. Yeah. You know, and, and I was in for it because June um, brought, she was really good in this. Oh yeah, she was on to it. Wow. She even made me feel old the way she was typing so quickly and switching between apps. <laughs> <laughs> I think before we get deeper into the film, I do want to talk about this genre. I, I don't know what you want to call it. The screen share genre. Because <laughs> like, um, we watched Searching and I was very impressed by the way that it was filmed. Um, because, you know, it, it can become a novelty, a novelty. It can kind of come off as sort of a gimmick. But I really appreciate it because the story was first. We focused on the story and then obviously, we had the sort of theatrics of the filmmaking as well you know like we even tried unfriended (laughs) 
which which definitely wasn't to the same sort of caliber. So coming back to Missing, I was very excited. I really enjoyed searching. Um, and I absolutely agree with you. It was it was really cool to investigate the genre um, through a young black girl um, and her mother. A hundred percent. And I think if I was in that situation, I'd be so lost, man. <laughs> You mean like trying to contact, trying to figure out yeah. where to start? Yeah, I'd be lost. I think just freaking out rather than having to take action like that, I'd just be numb to it all, man. I'll be frozen. Yeah. The, the first 40 minutes were really, really exciting because it was like it was sensory overload in the best sort of ways, the way I think a lot of it was like captured off the FaceTime, but they had lots of different sort of features. And it kind of reminded me of like our – um our click and play sort of Poirot like PC games, right? Where you, you're focusing on something, but then there were little post-it notes that were being added. Like, I guess it just shows how busy and how wired younger brains are because it's not just focusing on one thing. There's so many details that are on the screen that are all playing a part to the plot of the film. Mm. Um, how did you feel about the performances? I loved everyone in it. You know, um, it, it was good to see, uh, Megan Suri as well. Uh-huh. Yes, very nice. Uh, it's good to see her escaping the Mindy Kaling storm that's going on at the moment. <laughs> but everyone brought it, you know, halfway through though, I knew things weren't as they seemed. Yeah. And I think in as much as I loved the movie, if it, it would have benefited if it was 20 minutes shorter. You Like it should have been the way that my mother, and I'm assuming your mother, a lot of ethnic mothers raised us to be. Whenever people come over, you don't, you don't bring out all the food, you know, you just bring out some of the food. And if they want some more, then you give some more, but they really just threw it all at the table. And it's like, bruh. What are you talking about bringing some of the food? We'll be turning the lights off and pretending we're not home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been missing from your family for decades now. <laughs> We've not heard from you for 48 hours. Oh, that's all right. It's normal. <laughs> <laughs> but we see his pin moving. Nah, bros, that's not him. It's all right. <laughs> um once again friends and lovers meet us in the dms because the the through line for this film um i would say is an interesting choice i i would say very tentatively um but obviously we're not going to bring it into full fruition um in this review today but yeah it was interesting i think the performances were great the way it was filmed was great but i think what we were working towards there wasn't necessarily a payoff Mm. i think another interesting covered in this movie is the sort of victim blaming that we see because the media is sort of quick to latch onto headlines oh, and bylines. Oh, I see. I see. Mm, yeah. It, and spin stories. And to the point where shade room, it does, it yeah. does <laughs> to the point where you stop caring about the actual victim and you're all about tidbits that isn't really important. Yeah. But those become the main story and sort spicy. of spicy. Yeah. 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 The salaciousness still sells stories and whatnot, but we have to look beyond that. Uh-huh. And sometimes we fall victim to all that bullshit. I was waiting for Omar Epps to jump from the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a fatal affair, deep cut, friends and lovers. Oh, man. Imagine if that was a crossover. <laughs> <Come> through. 
we're, we're deep into the black Twitter, friends and lovers, apparently. Um, if I can get very real for a second, I'm not going to spoil the film, but if I can get very real for a second, as far as we understand, this is grounded in the real world in the 2020s. And if I'm going to be Katie Brovlosky, I would say, you know, we there's a reason why they call it missing white woman syndrome. Um, there's a reason why media gets more attention for young white women compared to Indigenous or black women. Um, so I thought it was interesting that this world felt separate to it. I think that's the best way I can say it without actually spoiling the film. But if if we look at the statistics and if we look at where people spend their social sort of equity and their social sort of sympathy, um, it was very interesting that this was separate to that reality. Man. Oh. <laughs> Classic Katie, man. Hmm? Yeah, because you're not going to bring the truth. <laughs> you just get shocked at Mark Maron, but I've been Mark Maron all along, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, shout outs to Amy Landecker. We're seeing her in everything. Mm-hmm. Tulsa King and something else we watched recently, we also saw her in. Yeah, um, your honour. And actually, while we're thinking, she's that uh, conservative politician on Minx. Minx, very excited. Oh, no, you're right. Come through stars, giving us another spin-off of Spartacus. Yeah. Renewing, not even renewing, reviving Minx. Yeah. Amazing. 250 cents equal a star's dollar, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Guess why we're here, Ken Lung. Um, Friends and lovers, if you guys like industry, please meet us in the DMs. I, I, I'm confused, but I would like to know um, if you're enjoying it. We do love Ken. Um, but yeah, all around an enjoyable, interesting balls to the wall film. It was very thrilling. I think it'll interest most of you people out there. You um, people. Yeah, oh, you people. tell us you've been watching Kenya Barris only 24-7. <laughs> I'm speaking to the light-skinned brothers out there. Come on. <laughs> Because the light-skinned brothers need more representation. Is that what we're saying? For real. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously. um, You can't but seriously after doing that. (laughs) You will never be taken seriously in this town, sir. (laughs) No, it's it's a thrilling movie with great performances that really just showcase that this genre works Mm -hmm. and we need more of it. Okay. Well, I I guess we need more of it in the way that it gets done because I think what happens a lot is you'll get a lot of copies even if it's not to the same level, right? Mm. So we kind of need to make sure we keep the same sort of quality. But we're not gatekeepers. We welcome anything you can swing. (laughs) Well, I guess if you're going to speak on behalf of us, that's absolutely not what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's move in into the next um, sort of screener um, that we received. So this series has already come out. Thank you to the team at Binge as well as HBO and this is a British show. So this is a show that comes from Cash Carraway, um, also as you may uh, be aware of the author um, and it talks about a working class single mum, 10 year old daughter um, and her bestie frenemy not bestie who's a gay man Mm. 
So it kind of, it, all of the ingredients are there really um, to set up the show. We've had a chance to um, check out the first couple of episodes of this show um, and obviously we're not going to talk about spoilers, more just a, you know, a, a mist of an essence in the air. Yeah, um, I think the way it started off strongly, I quickly gravitated towards uh, Selby, the character. Yeah, because he said strong and I'm like, I think some of the characters like Costello, for example, came off a bit too strong. <laughs> it gave vibes of those characters on American Idol where they say, <laughs> I slept in the car with my baby for five months just to do this. No, bro, you need to do better for your daughter. <laughs> she needs four walls <laughs> and a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in as much as we know it's it's sort of a, a comedic take on on the situations, it's still disheartening, at least to I me. wasn't laughing, though. Exactly. It, it felt very irresponsible to me. Uh-huh. The daughter didn't need to understand exactly their situation like that. We inadvertently created the parents edition because all of the everything we're covering today has a through line of parenting and perhaps not the best ways to do it. Um I absolutely agree with you and you know, you know we did get a nice handful um of screeners but given the nature of this show like I kind of just wanted to have the couple that we watched and then watch it as people are watching it because you're right. I think both of us have a very set idea on not even like the right way that Costello should be doing something, but it seemed like everything she was doing was not in the interest or the welfare. Um, and I think that's part of, cause you know, I even said it, um, of course it's, it's me being me, you know, I even said it when we did the passion of the Christ episode, like cool, it's Jesus, but you need to give us a reason to like fall in love and cheer or gee, um, him on. And it's kind of the same with Costello. We just got thrust into, and maybe that's the cataclysmic sort of world, um, that, that wanted to be created for rain dogs, but there was something about the way that Costello flitted through, you know, these sort of, you know, even facing evictions and that sort of thing, you know, part of, I, I guess part of the barometer for me is like, however you parent is however you parent. But if your kid needs to edit and need to adapt and in some cases console the parent, then you can fuck off. Cause that's, that that's not a way a kid should be living. It's not. And I think funnily enough, I think Costello thought she was doing the best she can for the daughter. Uh-huh. And she, or she didn't see it as a problem in how she navigated life. Yes. And I think that's where there was the disconnect for me. Because to have a character fully disconnected from her own judgments like that, to the point where Selby, who's been incarcerated for I don't know how long, comes out uh-huh. and it still feels like the better option to <laughs> to raise the daughter. <laughs> I don't know, like those situations she put the daughter in that I thought, how irresponsible do you have to be? Yeah, like, and I guess, you know, there's also the talk of addiction as well. And maybe we're just catching the story at a time that isn't as sympathetic towards Costello. But at the end of the day, I think it's always writing, you know? It is. And I think there's 
a different way to do it in such that in such that there's that resonance with Costello as a character. It yeah. felt very just gang ho. Mm. I'm just going to do this because for a quick laugh, which yeah. didn't make me laugh and it just irritated me some aspects. Yeah. Uh, but definitely it's something that I'd want to continue watching. But we've been known to be blown away and like latch onto a show later, like not immediately, right? Yeah. So, so there's definitely a lot of hope for this show, but I think even just getting a handful to get a tasting of what it's like and then to watch it with audiences um i think will be very interesting so i'm hoping for all the best for costello um selby is always going to be around and i think costello knows that so i hope that th- them two just figure this shit out together yeah and for some weird reason costello has a, a twin sister in gloria who's they exactly like yeah <laughs> Yeah, they should be on those. Yeah. They should be on those articles of like t- twin siblings. Yeah, <laughs> wild. <laughs> but I think you could tell the comedic timings and whatnot. It's 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 written quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's definitely something that we're going to continue. We just want to discuss it better with our peeps as um, we go along. Are we not going to acknowledge Gloria's daddy, Steve Tucson, our callers? Mm-hmm. Cause, because because we do our research and for no other reason, I'm definitely not thirsting online. I saw Steve Toussaint in the, you know, opening sort of scenes and I was like, Corliss is in this. And you're like, what? And then as soon as he turned up, we're like, there he is. <laughs> there are no black people in this era. <laughs> <laughs> Rich. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Managing a funeral parlor, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we also had Carl Pilkington, who have not got into yet. Yeah, so that's something to look forward to. Mm. Very exciting. I wonder if he'll be unimpressed in all his scenes. Yeah, you would What's this? I don't call. You wouldn't want him to be like super enthusiastic, right? <laughs> you know, it'd be really cool if he's like Selby's older brother or something. Mm. That could work. That could absolutely work. Um, well, let's move on to see if this does work. Creed 3 OT. <laughs> it's a toss up, friends and lovers. Um, again, because we've been blessed with, um, you know, screenings and screeners, it is a toss up to see how many we can fit in a ref max, what we believe will be um, individual review episodes till absolutely is on its way. Friends and lovers, Daniel Deadweiler, no one else exists really in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And if you're up for it, OT, I think breaking should be its own review as well. Agreed. All right. Um, well, let's get on up. Let's yee-haw into Creed 3. Um, we can talk about the first two films as well. Um, but this is very excitingly the way to end the bout. Is that, Am I doing a sports talk? Oh, you're doing the talks. I talk. The way to TKO the final bout. We have the directorial debut from Michael B. Jordan with his non-corny ass. <laughs> Writers Keegan Kugler, Zach Balin, as well as Ryan Kugler, in way of stars, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Jonathan Majors, Runner Back Wood Harris, Felicia Rashad, I suppose, and Mila Davis Kent, Amara Creed. Wow. 
Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. For those playing at home, OT, do you want to give us a little bit of a summary on how you feel about the Rocky films and the Creed films before we get to Creed 3? Oh, as a fan of Rocky, you've got to love Creed. At least the way there's been a steady progression in Creed. Okay. You know, some series stall off a bit, but I think Creed has gone from strength to strength and that's not an easy feat. Uh-huh. And kudos to Michael B, man. That was fantastic. Was Directoral debut. Michael B. Directing. Mm-hmm. That's a joke he made on SNL. I can't take credit for that. Um, but speaking of credit, thank you so much to Warner Brothers, Lad Bible, um, as well as Universal Pictures for inviting us to the preview screening of Creed 3. Thank you. Biggest thank you to OT for letting me run onto the carpet and doing it for the gram. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so Rocky Films. I don't think we got to the end of the Rocky run, but I have watched a good Adrian handful. So I get the reference, friends and lovers. Um, Creed 1 I thought was very interesting. You know, um, this was, you know, a starry-eyed, even though we knew Michael B. Jordan um, from Where the Fuck is Wallace in The Wire, it very much was that, you know, that that next sort of era for Michael B. Jordan, Fruit Vale Station, um, you know, and some really heavy hitting sort of performances, if you'll pardon the pun. So you've also got him in Creed as well. Um, it was interesting because I, I think whenever you see Michael B. Jordan, you know you're going to get some great performances. Um, I think the world that, uh, you know, Adonis and Bianca built together was very real, very sexy. I think a lot of us think that's what we look like, but we don't. <laughs> when we're having our, um, we found love in a hopeless place, that's not what we look like but it's okay if that's how you feel um like it was really cool the world that was built there but you know friends and lovers we are you know part of the film sort of ethos world that exists so we can't not address the fact that your mate Sylvester Stallone went and did his speech and I'm pretty sure he won four Creed and even forgot to acknowledge anyone else he forgot to acknowledge Michael B yeah just say it man say it with the chest (laughs) Hey, why are you giving me that Damien Anderson energy? We haven't even gotten to Jonathan Majors yet. Oh, do you mean Marianne's energy? Yeah. Because you know full well she's the villain in this movie. Yeah, especially as the Dean ignoring (laughs) all the survivors. Yeah, absolutely. But wow, I think this movie, it was good to see Adonis and Dane pairing up. Yeah. It was an interesting battle that they set the tempo for quite early and it was intriguing. I wanted to see that fight Mm -hmm. and how it unfolded because it completely just sort of two different fighters. And in as much as you know, that was the sort of final end goal because it's super easy. And I think it was probably in the trailers. It was still invigorating and exciting to watch. Okay. Okay. It's getting muy caliente. Before we get into actually talking about the film, just give me a nice tasty morsel of what you thought about the film, specifically Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. I think he did a good job. I think he he brought um, a lot of heart to it. I love the sort of close-up shots that we got. You know, okay. it felt very shallow-key, but <laughs> it worked. <laughs> are we talking Robert Downey Jr. or are we talking about uh, Cumberbatch's plantation? Oh, Robert Downey Jr., man. Oh, you didn't I, even that... let me say Cumberbatch plantation, Cumberbatch. You didn't even let me finish saying that. No, he, he knows what he needs to do. <laughs> Creed, but it's me just punching plantation owners and going back into the past. Oh, bro, you've got relatives you need to take care of first. <laughs> 
wonder how far does your family name go, Oti? Oh man, must can be we, a copper butch in there somewhere. Can we can we can we draw a line between you and the Dahome? Are you are you in the woman king, Oti? Uh, well, you called me up for that, so uh, I did, and um, I will continue to call you out and make you an honest man in the publics. Um, I guess my my general sort of thoughts, I think. Creed 3 was a very exciting um, extension of what we have already come to know um, about Adonis. Michael B. Jordan had some very interesting aesthetics and visuals throughout the film. Um, It was a great first offering for his directing, and I'm really looking forward to what it would look like in the future for him to be able to connect the feeling of the story to the directing sort of vision that he has. Oh, I, I think the feeling of the story was there. The feeling was the story was there, and I just feel like it was misplaced a bit. I don't think it was misplaced. It was just like, why did you put it there and you weren't going to... Because, you know, even having Amara Creed being deaf, like something that I really loved, and friends and lovers, we will be covering the Fox series Accused. There are some very... Some hidden... Mis- <laughs> well, there are some misses, but there are some very great um, episodes in the anthology series Accused. And the reason why I talk about that is there is a specific story. I think it's Ava's story um, where we focus on a deaf protagonist, right? And there was a focus on that story about Ava not being supported, no one, not her mother, no one in her life learned how to sign, right? So coming to Creed Three, it was so beautiful to see. Even you know, even in moments where Amara wasn't around, Adonis and Bianca would be signing to each other. Mm. Maybe it's a way to subtly fight but still yeah i hear that but i think when i talked about the misplaced feeling side of it was more geared towards the supposed villain in this okay we'll definitely come to that but is there anything else you want to say about how they represented the deaf hearing impaired community they've done it since creed 2 i think Mm. so it was good to see it take um a bigger stage in this as well yeah um and the more visibility it gets, the better as well. Yeah. So I'm all for it, man. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's go full balls to the wall. Jonathan Majors, welcome again to the For Your Reference podcast. We are talking about, do you go by Damien or Dame? Dame. Is it also Damien because that name's like associated with Satan? Is that also as well where they named him that? Uh, bro. <laughs> huh? I'm doing my um This Mormon classes you went to, eh? I'm doing my angels and no Da Vinci code. I'm doing my Da Vinci code pen line right now. Apple. <laughs> I've solved it for you. Yeah. What a time. What a time and space, friends and others. Oh my word. Uh <laughs> With Dame, he gets the short end of the stick. Watch this become a full review now because I no, definitely it, it's have It's not going to be a full review because I'm not going to even give you spoilers. But he gets the short end of the stick in this. Yeah. To the point where as soon as he's introduced to the movie, you understand and you can resonate with his character. Yeah, absolutely. And him being taken away or incarcerated, his career short-lived. And he has every right to have qualms with that. Yeah. To the point where Adonis's reaction. Yeah. I'm like, bro. Bruh. Bro. Bruh. Do better. Yeah. Be better. Mm-hmm. And Marianne. 
<laughs> no, uh, let's leave your sissy Marianne. The points where we come to call characters in question. Yeah, and, but it's the type you... of characters that you always like calling into question. No, I, I feel like you, you defend certain type of characters. Just say black <laughs> women. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> We're talking about Marianne Creed. We're talking about Sissy Saint and Snowfall. I know what you're doing, OT. I, I was just going to say, you defend a lot of the women in question here. Who, black women? No, just women. Okay, but they always seem to be black when you're talking about them. <laughs> Man, no, 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 no. She did a lot of questionable things in this movie. Yes, and because we're not getting too deep into spoilers, I can agree with your redacted, but also that doesn't that doesn't equal the way that the energy that you came in with. No, no, no. There's not even a lot of energy. It's just an observation. You just caffeinated yourself. You just got energy out of nowhere right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything that Dame had to go through is completely understandable. And I think a lot of the people watching this movie will will not only resonate, but they'll be like, bruh. Yeah. Dame? Yeah. Are you sure? That's a damn shame. <laughs> and, and, and at the end, even the resolution, yeah. I was like, this wasn't needed. Yeah. It felt cheap to me. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is, this is what I will say because, you know, people say, you know, leave your brain at the door. Well, motherfuckers, I say that probably didn't have much of a brain to start off with, but people like leave your brain at the door and enjoy it. Fine. Cool. Whatever you want to do. But we're also living in the tethered John Singleton rest in love and peace and power world. If we can get a film like boys in the hood in the nineties, OT his first movie as well, where we talk about black men don't need to be fighting a white man's war. When we talk about gentrification, say it. When we talk about mistreating and neglecting our own kin, speak it. I'm trying to, you motherfucker, Dr. <laughs> Dr. OT Umar up in the house. <laughs> um, but like to have a film like Boys in the Hood, like just as an example, and obviously like we can talk about Spike Lee as well, but to have a film like Boys in the Hood that came out in the 90s and to have this film Creed, unless, because, you know, even behind the screen, we have we have black creatives as well, right? And, you know, I guess we can also talk about mass appeal and marketing execs and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it's definitely not hollow in its representation of the black experience, right? However, we need to talk about this the same way that I talked about missing <laughs> and missing white woman syndrome and that sort of thing. We need to address this again, friends and lovers, unless you are um, a, an insulated wool baby of the world and you don't understand how the world works, this will be a spoiler to you. Yeah. So we have Dame who you've acknowledged kind of like the older brother sort of mentor to Adonis. And you say like his, his career, he was really up there. I think he even talked about being like a national champion right so he was really on his way to stardom um and you know adonis was always there you know behind him always having that sort of brotherhood right maybe even brothers in the hood if you'll pardon the pun sure. but you you have this relationship right uh, a way that they make it through the world 
together. Unfortunately, events transpire where Dame has to go away, right? In that time, Adonis is rising through the ranks and he is, you know, he's, he's getting his earned title, right? And then Dame comes out. So that's not even a spoiler, but I'm setting up the dynamics of this film. Dame comes out. He's older than Adonis. He, he definitely feels whether the audience feels like it's, it's, it's unwarranted or not. Dame feels like he's, he needs his due. Right. And that's absolutely what the dynamics are. I think part of the qualm, quarrel and quandary that I had in particular with Creed 3 was we are with you fam. Like we are absolutely from this place that you're operating from. So let's, let's navigate that way. Right. It was this, it was as if Adonis like was trying to ignore like a homeless person on the street. Like he was trying to ignore this whole situation. And it's like, nah, bruh, like you're a part, you're a part of this. You know what I mean? Mm. You shouldn't feel guilty for your success, but you also need to acknowledge that your lives aren't the same, you know? And to have the villain be Dame, I think, like you said, it was very irresponsible to make him the the wretched mustache twirling villain. You're right. It was irresponsible to the point where even when they come to, you know, there's a clash between them. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I still understand all this. I still understand the anger and the frustration. Yeah. Anyone would be Dame in this situation. Yes. I'd be Dame. Yes. Not as jacked, but I'd be as angry. Just as delicious. Okay. Um, No, I can't uh, find my words. eh? (laughs) Why'd you turn into Chris Pratt's Mario? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Do you even talk about him? No, we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it. Let's go back to Dame. It was a very good casting decision from Michael B in this because he just brings so much to this movie. Quality. You can... he, Can he I just say the everything. whole? But the whole cast in this film brought solid performances. That's kind of why I'm leaning on the writing. Um, because Jonathan Majors, one thing you know he's going to do, he's going to fucking deliver. Oh, coming after the Kugler brothers, eh? No, I'm not coming after the Kugler brothers. Uh, something about black men writing, eh? <laughs> sitting on that tell me how you feel man (laughs) no there were like there were particular lines of dialogue that just felt like um what are those people that go to the gym do like hashtag motivation monday and all that sort of stuff um shout out to wood harris it was nice seeing him it's always beautiful seeing wood harris but he even said a line as well um he he's just trying to fight the world you know he's angry man and it's like come on (laughs) You know, rightfully so, rightfully so, but there's a nuance to the penmanship mm-hmm. in some cases. So, um, yeah, Jonathan Majors is always going to deliver. And again, this is not a spoiler unless for some reason you believe in the power of friendship. Jonathan Majors is fucking jacked. Like, I don't know in what world, because this man is in everything now. Like, if you're if you're a Marvel fanboy or if you love, you know, a, a, an interesting sort of turn on Lovecraft country, if you love the harder they fall, like this beautiful man is 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 laying out himself everywhere else, right? So you you know where Jonathan Majors is. You know he is jacked to the gods. May I say the Adam Levine god? <laughs> Oh, that chest, God! <laughs> Flex the muscles, God! And this is how you introduce Pav Katie to the world. 
People say Jonathan Majors doesn't have a social media, but I, I've been messaging every day. Gah! That's why he doesn't have a social media account anymore. <laughs> you blocked me again. Gah! Anyway, the point is Jonathan jacked Majors. Like, even if you, okay, fine. We're, we're watching the film. He's like, he's an older man and he's in prison and he's like coming out. So he needs to exercise and get his montage. Fine. I can suspend my belief for that much. Obviously, no spoilers for the film, but he doesn't just have one fight. He has fights leading up to, you know, the no row to, as Michael B. Jordan would say, um, and Sasuke, you know, that that major sort of showdown, right? Who in the world thinks that Jonathan Majors isn't just going to knock every motherfucker out? Like, who in this world? In a world where Adonis Creed exists? Unless we have like Master Roshi or Gigi um, in Itchy the Killer. (laughs) Unless you have like, you know, like 80 year old scrawny men out of nowhere having like their little muscles coming out of their robes. I just don't understand how far we can suspend belief that Jonathan Majors in his whole beauty and glory isn't just going to knock everyone out. Muscles does not a fighter make. Yeah, I know, but you you wouldn't fight him, would you? Well, I don't know. Get get myself into a montage. <laughs> montage. <laughs> I could get in shape, you know. We love a naughty montage. <laughs> okay, well, if that's what you want to say, but I I personally, it was very hard for me because I was like, okay, we're going through the mechanics of the film, but I I don't believe that this is even a struggle for him to knock out these motherfuckers. But anyway, um, something that I want to end on, unless you have anything else to say i want to talk about you know even michael b jordan i I need to watch a bit more interviews but even he talks about you know the anime sort of influences in the fight scenes i guess don't go into too much detail so we're not spoiling it um but how do you feel was this a hashtag anime canon or was it a hashtag ostrich filler oh anime take anime oh well baki style yeah Okay. I, I compared it to um Sherlock, so <laughs> Yeah. You know what I've got from it. But, yeah, the crown. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I could I could see I could see that. Um in retrospect. I, I don't So you think wouldn't have seen it going. I don't in. think it it stood out to me um while watching it live. Yeah. It was kind of like the <laughs> I'm not saying quality wise, but you know how in Dragon Ball Evolution where they didn't commit to like Bulma's hair, so she just had one streak of the blue. <laughs> because I, I also didn't see it as well. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think if um if I already knew going in, so I was looking for it. I guess you could talk about like the slow-mo shots and stuff, but like you even talked, um, well, <laughs> I don't know if you're being facetious, but you mentioned Sherlock. Like there are other fighting films or fighting sort of sequences that aren't anime that do those sort of shots, mm. right? Um, you know, if they were really trying to do anime, I would have expected like, I guess, Dame in this instance of like the strongest character, not even moving, just like tilting his head a little bit. (laughs) That would have been full blown anime to me. Um, interesting, interesting. There there is a sequence at the end that, um, I don't want to spoil, but do you think that's that, that sort of visual effect of the end screen, do you think that drove home the anime? Yeah, like, I, I can't really say it. I think maybe in our second rewatch, I might pick up those anime references or Easter eggs or uh-huh. shots that he put in. 
Uh, but, but whether they were there or not, it was still cool fighting sequences. It was. And um, let's fighting love. <laughs> the South Park count as an anime. Oh, wow. And I'm sure in our second rewatch, we'd, we'd pick all these anime references up. But even if we don't, that's a watching experience. You don't need to invalidate your experience, OT. <laughs> Shout out to Selena Slava, who we also see in Breaking. Mm. Um, she did very well. Felix is really cool. I don't know if I've seen him around and stuff, but it'll be cool to see him around the town. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was good seeing that. I think maybe Felix uh, gets a bigger shot in a new version of Creed. Okay. Don't know. The Creed verse. Mm-hmm. Not the Creed from The Office. That would be something, though. Yeah, it would be Creed blogs. <laughs> yep. There's your mainstream references, friends and lovers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us another week in the For Your Reference household. Um, if you've checked it all out, The Sun, Mark Marins from Bleak to Dark, Missing, Rain Dogs, as well as Creed 3. Um, give us your thoughts. Give us your hot takes, your muy caliente feelings. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Bye.